Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll work through verses 12 through 19, and we'll address this question today. What if God does not exist? What effect does that have on life? What effect would that have on the purpose and the point of life? What effect would that have on having children, really hope in general? In these next six weeks, we're going to be looking at the question of the existence of God. So today we'll look at, if God does not exist, what are you left with? The following five weeks, we'll look at specific arguments relating to the existence of God. We'll talk about morality. Uh, Can you have right and wrong, good and evil, morality, immorality, apart from the existence of God? Then we'll talk about design. What, What does science actually say? What do we find on the molecular level, what, what does DNA tell us about random chance or the possibility of intelligent design? We'll talk about the universe as a whole. What arguments lead us to believe in God? Or does the evidence point to God creating the world or the world or the universe rather always existing? And then we'll look uh, after that at the question of the resurrection to say if there is evidence that God exists, How do you know which one? Because there's a lot of options out there. But today we'll look at something that is um, hopefully a game changer. Regardless if you are a believer, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, or if you consider yourself a deist, uh, we hope that this message will move you from just believing that there's some generic God to believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In other words, we're hoping that today will help if you have questions with that, help you know the identity of God. And then maybe for some of us who claim to believe that God exists and we may claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, uh, it may be that this message will help us to look within and ask the question, is there any difference in the way that I live and the way that a card-carrying atheist live? In other words, could it be that some of us live as practical atheists? We're nice, we work hard, we treat our families well, but at the end of the day, there's really no difference with the way that we live. Because the Bible tells us that when Christ comes, everything is brand new. So the the, the subject that we're going to address today may honestly be a little bit scary when we start to look into what seems to be an easy issue to say, if God doesn't exist, what options are you left with? So to begin, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verse number 12. And we'll work through verse 12 through verse 19. The Bible says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith, 
my faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The Apostle Paul is posing the possibility of those who deny that the resurrection could take place, saying, what happens if you get God wrong? What if, he's telling these people, if we mistook Jesus to be the Messiah and Jesus didn't rise from the dead, his conclusion there is in verse 19. He's saying, we are the biggest, I mean the largest L1 capital losers ever to walk the face of the earth. Because if you've ever heard about the Christian life, that is the most difficult life you could ever live. In fact, in and of our own strength, none of us have the ability to live it at all. So he's saying that if you get God wrong, if the resurrection didn't take place, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then we should have the sympathy of every person on the planet. So specifically, Paul's talking about getting God wrong. But then you go to the larger question of what if God does not exist at all? And it is not my role at all to play the devil's advocate. I think that would be pretty messed up for a preacher to play the devil's advocate, or really for any follower of Christ. But I want us to put our floaties on this morning and actually think about the implication of the existence of God or if God does not exist. And this is Halloween month. It's where um, the, the, I guess you could call it the ancient festival of, uh, of Samhain there where spirits are rumored to walk the earth. People are celebrating that this month and we've got scary movies on TV and we've got decorations in yards. But let me give you a really scary option. The scary option, if you believe that God does exist and he doesn't, the option if he doesn't is that life is completely and utterly empty. It is absurd. There is no point. There is no purpose. There is no hope. There is no immortality. There is no possibility rationally to believe that, as Daniel says, the good guys will actually win. But if you're living your life this morning in hopes that God does not exist, because for some people, uh, as the, the philosopher that we read last week, Professor Thomas Nagel at New York University, said, I don't want God to exist. I really hope that he doesn't. Why? Because it would have to change the way that he lived. If you're hoping that God does not exist, imagine this scary possibility, that you study and you research and you blog and you write and you think and you conversate, but then when death comes, you walk through the, the door of death but then you come face to face with the one that you have denied even existing, much less knowing. Words could never express the horror upon horrors of horrors to say there is no God and then enter into eternity and somehow in some way you got it wrong and you're standing before the one who created everything and the one to whom you will give an account. You talk about scary movie. Hollywood can never create the gnawing horror, the gut-dropping terror 
of standing before an, a righteous, holy, infinite, eternal God who sees everything that we've ever thought. So, regardless if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, regardless if you're a member of this church, if you're an atheist or skeptic, we're pumped that you're here. I am. I think it's great to investigate things, but here's the thing, regardless of where you are on that spectrum, we all owe it to ourselves to actually think about these great questions of existence. So here's the possibility. What if God does not exist? And historians will tell us that from what we know, there's not really a culture in history that has ever been post-theistic. In other words, by that, the culture as a whole believed that there was a God and then completely moved beyond that. Western Europe and the United States, this is a first experience and what does it look like to really ground a culture on the belief that there is no God? The great German atheist, Nietzsche, said that God died in the 19th century so the 20th century would be the bloodiest in history, and he was right. You see, when God is removed, everything else is as well. And if you studied our culture, you know that Western culture, the United States and Western Europe, Eastern Europe to a certain extent, has been grounded upon, even our common law has been grounded upon the fact or the belief that God does exist. And God has God has holiness, he is love, he is perfection, so therefore laws come from God. That's where our founders got the idea that there are certain rights that government doesn't give and government can't take away. How do you get that? How do you arrive at that? You have to believe that God exists. But what we're seeing is a culture that has been grounded upon for a certain extent, the belief that God does exist is eroding from that and I just want to put in a thought here that when there is no ultimate accountability, we should not be surprised that in places like Oregon in a community college that someone goes in to do that with no thought of morality, no thought of justice, no thought of there is going to be a reckoning where I will give an account of my life to God. I think as followers of Jesus Christ and our culture, we need to pray. And for those of you that are led by the Lord to protect your families um, with being trained, uh, I do not think that there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I would go a little bit further and say to allow evil to continue, to allow innocent people to be harmed, that is a dereliction of duty. So for those of you who choose to uh, defend yourselves and defend other people, uh, I think that is a moral option. Um, from your pastor. I think I can support that with reasoning and with scripture, not that we ever want to cause physical harm to any person, but I do think that evil uh, doesn't need to be allowed to go unchecked. So don't let anybody put a guilt trip on you for choosing to defend your family or people who you may not even know. And even these questions, we realize that man, and it's been said by philosophers, that man is the only creature that asks why. So let's delve into it. Here's the thought that I, I, I want to get across this morning. If God does not exist, then life is ultimately and completely meaningless and absolutely absurd. 
There's several requirements that you have to have for, I think, for life to be meaningful. And at this point, I would refer you to Dr. William Lane Craig. If you're taking notes, you can write down reasonablefaith.org. He's an amazing Christian scholar who makes things accessible to top-level academics all the way down to students. I would encourage you to look up his work. A lot of what we're talking about here today, I'm crediting um, to him. He's a great, great man of God. So look into that if you want to go a little bit deeper. But here's what you have to have for for life to be meaningful. Number one, you have to have a transcendent purpose. It means a purpose for our lives that outlasts us. Transcendent, it kind of means it's not dependent upon human opinion. It means something that is simply there. Secondly, you have to have immortality. You have to have the assurance that death is not the end in order for life to be meaningful. Number three, you must have justice A belief in a reality that justice will prevail and evil will be conquered. A guarantee that the bad guys won't win in order for life to actually have meaning. So here's the thing. If God does not exist, what options are you left with? If God does not exist, then you and I, none of us have a transcendent purpose for our life. There's really no point, no purpose. The people have tried to give us substitutes, so here are a few that we see in our culture. One would be, well, God doesn't exist, but you can live your life based upon the ideals of hedonism, which is simply eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. You could call it life in the fast lane, the party lifestyle. It would be a life that's lived for physical pleasure, whatever that, whatever that may be. It's kind of like trying to live your life based upon hedonism and filling our life with sensual pleasures is like trying to carry a bucket and fill it with water, and every time we put a cup of water in, we take two knives and cut the bucket. The more we cut the bucket, the more frantic it's going to be to try to keep the bucket from completely emptying. That's what our culture is experiencing. People are experiencing disillusionment because magazines and TV tell us that the key to fulfillment is this next sex trick. True or not true? Here's what you need to jazz up your marriage. Here's how you find the perfect partner. It all has to do with sensual stimulation. And there's no way that we can be satisfied with that. There's hedonism. There's that option in our culture. Do what feels good, and that way you can find purpose. There's also another empty substitute which says, live your life for power. Accumulate fame and big money. All you have to do is look at Solomon who had more money than we could ever dream to do anything with. And Solomon says that everything under the sun is absolutely empty and vanity of vanities. All is vanity. You look at Wall Street, you look at Hollywood, people who have more money than they know what to do with. They'd have to hire a team of spenders just to know what to do with the money. But what do you find in Hollywood? And Wall Street, most often, you find people that are stressed, people that are unhappy, people that are experiencing marriage problems. And some of us say, well, if we could only make, if we could only make 40 or 50 or 80 or 100 or or 200 grand a year, we'd be fine. Everything would be great in our marriage. Just look around. Power and fame doesn't do it. Look at some of the past famous people, Vanilla Ice. Ice, ice, baby. I mean, who... Like the guy shows up on random shows today, he was big stuff in fifth grade, but fame is a fleeting thing. And since we've got our floaties on, think about this. 
if you are not famous, but then you become famous, but then you lose your fame, and everybody looks at you as a has-been, don't you think that'd be a little bit harder to handle than if you were just a regular guy and a regular girl? Our culture says accumulate power and fame and money. And uh, Ayn Rand, who actually had some great economic ideas, uh, was a card-carrying atheist, and she said, quote, Achievement of your happiness is the only moral purpose of your life. Achievement of your happiness. But here's the question for Ayn Rand, an atheist. How do you really know what's going to make you happy if you're just a collection of particles? I mean, don't you really have to know through and through what we really are in order to make us happy? And here's the question. If God does exist, then maybe some of the things that we want aren't really the things that we need to actually make us happy. So the argument backs up again with the question of happiness is decided on whether or not God exists. And then some say, well, I don't, I know that my wanter internally can go off. It can go in the wrong direction. I know that life is not all about physical stimulation. I know it's not about power and fame and money. And by the way, Jesus's words for those who are accumulating things in an effort to be happy is one word. It's four letters and it's fool. Fool. He says, you do not know this night that your soul will be required of you. It is insane. Let's think about this. Absolutely stark, raving, mad, insane to live a life in pursuit of fame and money and physical stimulation with not knowing when you're going to die. And knowing that it could be possible if you have an open mind that God could exist and you will enter into his presence having viewed his blessings as idols. Welcome to church. I mean, aren't you? This is heavy stuff. But there's some who will say, you know what? I know that's not the case. Let me go a little bit beyond that, and I will live my life for honor. I'll live for honor in a pursuit of discipline, whether it's the martial arts, whether it's the military, whether it's law enforcement. But if we're really thinking about honor being the reason for life, we have to admit that honor is very subjective. What may be honorable to us may not be honorable to another person. And if you try to establish this is honorable without an ultimate standard, a.k.a. God, you really end up in a washing machine, don't you? Of he said, she said. And if we could be really honest, often those who say, I'm going to live a life for honor and honor's sake, that is just a mask for blatant, raw arrogance. To say, who's honorable? I am. They're not living a life of honor. Those party people, bunch of bums, sleeping all day, getting trashed all night. Those morons up in Hollywood and and in Wall Street, don't they realize that they're not, I mean, you can't be satisfied by money. Do you hear the tone or the internal communication? Honor often without Christ has no grounding in reality, and furthermore, it could be simply just a mask and a camouflage for I'm better than you are. Well, let's get to something positive, maybe. 
Some will say, well, Jeff, I don't, I don't think that you can live your life for those things, but I, I'm dedicating my life to family and friends. There we go. That's happy. In this sordid bag of, of empty substitutes, I'm going to live my life for my family. And let's think about this. If God does not exist, there is no ultimate purpose and point in family. And even those family relationships that we have, when we laugh with our husband or wife, or when we we high-five brothers and sisters when we play jokes on, you know, the, the crazy uncle, but it's still okay. And we have family get-togethers, and, and we look into the eyes of, of our children, our nieces and nephews, grandchildren, and we just have a, a hug, a genuine good, I love you, it's not weird, I genuinely love you, care about you, hug with a family member, your precious spouse, and you, your heart's just so full because you love your family, if God does not exist, here is the stark cold reality that if there is no God, you have to come to grips with the fact that the family that you love so much, the horrifying reality is that death will one day rip both of you, all of you apart, and you will never, ever, ever see them again because there's no hope beyond the grave. And so here's the question for the ones who say, I deny that God exists, but I live my life for family. How can you honestly, rationally enjoy family time knowing that there's going to be a day which none of us knows where we'll get the news from the doctor, where the automobile accident will happen, where the tragedy will hit, and it is forever into the blackness and darkness forever. There is no hope. So that's what you get if God doesn't exist. If God doesn't exist, you also get no chance of immortality. It means that if God does not exist, that you and I are ultimately alone and there is no hope or chance of redemption beyond the grave. Do you remember when you were a little kid and you first experienced a brush with death? Maybe it was the death of your pet frog or your pet fish and your parents had the, the burial at sea around the commode. And they tried to explain, but you, you, for the first time, experienced loss, man, loss. For me, I, I, was, I was seven years old, and, and I was with my granny, and, and she was so cool. Like, she was awesome. I mean, I would want her to buy me swords and things like that from the store, and she would tell me stuff like, well, if it was up to me, honey, I'd get it for you, but your daddy wouldn't like it, you know? So, like, she still sold my dad out, and, and she was still the good granny, and so this was uh, an evening where everybody else is hanging out watching TV, and we're behind the couch coloring. She was, on, like, my granny was on her knees coloring, and then uh, that, next, that next morning, I got in trouble all the time. I thought I was in trouble again because mom said, we need to talk with you. And I went in and they tried to explain that granny had passed in the middle of the night. Horrifying feeling. As a kid, you're like, well, we, were, we, had, we were just coloring. I still have it in a frame. You know, it's not completed. I still have it. But that's granny. Like, that's, that's my grandmother. I, she's not gonna, I couldn't conceive it, but do you remember the first time that you ever had to think about death? That great philosophical film, What About Bob? Where that weird kid of the psychiatrist just walks around and a monotone voice says, I'm going to die, you're going to die, we're all going to die. That's when most of us are like, well, it's good talking to you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna head out. 
Philosophers have talked about this question to say, if there is no immortality, if there's no chance of life or redemption beyond the grave, then really, floaty time, what does it matter if we lived five years or 50 years? What does it matter if we've really lived at all? William Lane Craig says, modern man thought that when he had gotten rid of God, he had freed himself from all that repressed and stifled him. Instead, he discovered that in killing God, he had only succeeded in orphaning himself. If God does not exist, then both man and the universe are inevitably doomed to death. Man, like all biological organisms, must die with no hope of immortality. Man's life leads only to the grave. His life is but a spark in the infinite blackness, a spark that flickers, that appears, flickers, and dies forever. Compared to the infinite stretch of time, the span of man's life is but an infinitesimal moment. And yet, this is all the life he will ever know. You see, if God does not exist, then there is no immortality. Human bravery, the sacrifices that you've made for your family, your achievements working hard at your job and school, uh, working long extra hours, putting up with a difficult spouse, all of that will eventually just expand and expand and expand in a dead universe if God does not exist. The writer of Ecclesiastes who Solomon was experiencing a crisis of faith and he's saying that life under the sun, in other words, if there is no immortality, he says in Ecclesiastes 3, 19 and 20, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust and to dust all return. He's saying if there is no immortality, then there's no difference between a dog and a king. What this means is that if God does not exist, you and I are completely and absolutely, ultimately alone. We can surround ourselves with friends and family. We can get involved in sports we can go on vacations, we can be entertained, which by the way, the United States has a multi, multi-billion dollar entertainment industry. Often, because when some of us have the time to think and we think about what am I living for, it's empty if Christ is not king. If God does not exist, the universe, we will ultimately fade to black. So many people distract themselves until the day of their death. A new car, right? New fun things to do. It's simply a distraction. And then if God does not exist, finally, we have no assurance that justice will prevail. We have no assurance that justice is not just a little byproduct of evolution and that evil, if there is such a thing, which is difficult to establish without God, but let's say you can, that evil will not have the last word before all fades to black. You see, if God does not exist, then there is no guarantee of justice. If God does not exist, then there is no option but despair. You see, it goes discouragement, then depression, than ultimate despair. To despair is to be without hope in the world. It means if God does not exist, 
then there is no guarantee that Darth Vader will not kill all the Jedis. It means really that there is no hope. When things rattle on the world stage, you should be horrified that it could take away the short life that you and I have and really without God, it would be a life without meaning. Because if there is no God, then there is no guarantee that justice will prevail. So here's the question for us. Why do we make decisions based upon self-sacrifice? Why do we make decisions saying, no, I, even though I'm tempted to do that, it wouldn't be the right thing. Who gives a rip? Why not let selfishness be the guiding principle of everything that we do? And I'm not talking about self-interest economically. I'm saying, why don't we just, why don't we just break bad? I mean, it doesn't matter anyway. If God does not exist, then what we have to look forward to is it doesn't matter if we've lived as Mother Teresa or if we've lived as Joseph Stalin. Why? Because there's no ultimate justice if God does not exist. So then there's the question that people who've actually thought about it ask, and they say, why should I even live? Good question. If God does not exist. I mean, why do I want to continue on another 15, 20, 30, however many years, knowing that one day all of this is going to be meaningless, and the people that I love, and things that I've worked so hard for, blood, sweat, and tears, I will never be able to have. There's no rewards, there's no punishment. Why not? It doesn't matter. That's the question if God does not exist. For some people, when they walk through this systematically, they say, well, Jeff, what you've done is you've just ruined my life with this sermon. I enjoy the physical stimulation. I enjoy chasing after my desires. I enjoy the fame or money. I I enjoy family time. I enjoy honor. But you see, all those things without God are empty, empty things. And to live, to say that God doesn't exist, and then to live as if life actually has a purpose and a point is to be completely inconsistent, right? But nobody lives that way. I mean, everybody lives, for the most part, as if there's a point and a purpose to life. But you see, these empty substitutes that some of us have been hooked by, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and Jesus came to give life and to give it in abundance. Jesus came to show us that some of the things that we have lived for are simply traps. They're mirages. You say, well, what do we get with God? Here's the good part. With God, if God does exist, the God of Scripture, we get purpose. We get purpose to where God has said through his son, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We get, we get purpose. We get a challenge to love one another because God is love. You see, if God doesn't exist, then what is love other than a, just a random byproduct of evolution? But if God exists, then you have purpose. You also have immortality. You have the chance. You and I have the chance to be saved. When Jesus rose from the dead, he extinguished the fires of the fear of death. And with immortality, we can have confidence as followers of Christ that since Jesus has risen from the dead, we have confidence that we'll never, ever be alone. Amen? That Jesus, the one who rose from the dead, said, I will be with you 
The Bible says that God is near to all who call upon him. It says that he is near to those who have a broken heart. You see, with God, no suffering is wasted. We can have confidence that if God even calls upon us to die for the faith, whether it's in Africa or whether it's in a community college in Oregon, can you imagine being the person after the first few martyrs when he was asking, what religion are you? And they said, I'm a Christian. And they looked and they saw the headshot. One, two, three. Jeff Robinson, what would you do if you were number four? What an amazing, amazing testimony. And they did that because God apparently gave them power. If God exists, you can say, even though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will never forsake me. The Bible says that precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. That means that when a person who has been saved is on their deathbed, they are not alone. But Jesus is their God in this life, and he will usher them into his presence because he is Lord over death. Man, I'm getting fired up, and we're way over 12 o'clock. Third, if you have God, if God exists, the God of the Bible, you have an absolute guarantee of justice. You have a guarantee that you and I, the Chris Tomlin song says, come on, that I will rise when he calls my name. It means that we don't just rot. But we go to be with the presence of the Lord. We go to be with him until that day. It means that we don't have to have despair. It means that we can have hope in Jesus. We can see injustice in the world. We can see injustice in Franklin County. But we know there's going to be a day to where all will be brought into the light. And guess what, brother? That is something to look forward to. That is something to look forward to. Some people today, they say, well, how can God, how can God exist with all of this suffering? We'll get to that. But let me just say, all the cards have not been turned in yet. With the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if God exists, you have justice and the triumph of God over evil. Someone asked Stephen Seagal, why do people watch your movies? That's actually a great question to ask if you've ever seen the movies and he said, people like to see justice served. There is something inside us that cries out for justice. And the God of the Bible, the one who raised Jesus from the dead, has promised there will be a day in which God will judge this world in righteousness. And the question for us, go back with me to 1 Corinthians 15, 22, is this, verse 20 rather, but in fact Christ has. This is cool. Been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as a man, by a man came death, by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. And it explains, verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. What he's saying is that sin entered into the world through people, but God sent his son as a person who is willing and able to redeem all who would come to him in faith. That is an amazing promise. And that's what I'm staking my life on. So many of you have come to that point where you say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not a part of committing drive-bys. I'm not, I'm not in Africa killing Christians. I'm not doing that. I'm living for the false things of fame popularity, what people think about me, money, family, the false God of family to where family takes precedence over Christ, but it's no longer. 
I am ready to live my life for Christ. God bless you. It's so awesome to see so many of you guys are just a couple of years ago. You didn't want anything to do with Jesus, but you're here. And you're bringing other people. What an amazing testimony to the reality and the power of the gospel evidenced through Jesus' resurrection from the dead.